Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. This episode of the CMO Podcast is part of our Leadership During Crisis series. For these short episodes, I am inviting back previous guests to see how they are leading during the pandemic, how they are addressing new challenges, and how they are providing for their consumers, their employees, and the public during these unprecedented times. Today, my guest on Leadership During Crisis is Mariam Banakaram. She is the head of marketing at Nextdoor, the neighborhood app, in more than 250,000 neighborhoods. This is a great episode. We talk about how Nextdoor is connecting people in these very, very difficult times. We talk about how Nextdoor is living their purpose and activating it better than ever, and how Mariam and her team are working in very different ways. This is my conversation with Mariam Benakaran. You're six months into this new role as CMO of Nextdoor. And you, jo- you started your job just sort of as the pandemic was sweeping the world. So I'd like you to tell us about your last six months, including why you jumped from being an executive in residence at the great Columbia University to jump into this really interesting and I suspect demanding role. Yeah. Okay. That's a good place. That's to a start. big question to start big, with. Big, big question. Big question. As always, Jim, you always are good with the big questions. Um, So let's start with why I took the role. So I left as global CMO of Hyatt and decided to take some time off, as you know. Um, And I really just took three months off completely. And somebody gave me great advice to actually treat it like garden leave and do different things, which led me to write some things and then actually get a piece published in the New York Times, which I could never have imagined. And I began to sort of put together a portfolio life is what I call it, right? Because I think of life in terms of choices and chapters and when you leave a big job, people are always very confused by that because I don't think our society's um, very accepting of sort of non-linear career paths. But I really sort of felt like I needed to catch my breath. I want you to talk a little bit about your startup. You, you know, you started a new company at a senior level from the outside. It's a really interesting company. It's, it was the pandemic. We began working remotely. So how did you start up in a, in a really weird time? How did you get to know your team? your colleagues, your clients, whatever it might be. So what were the lessons and how you began? So I started three weeks before work from home. My first week I spent in San Francisco, which was really very fortunate because I got to actually meet a lot of my colleagues out there. I spent the second week in Europe because I um, also oversee the global team. So I actually got to meet everybody there too. And then I spent my third week in New York. So I met that team, you know, because I was going to be based there. So I actually was fortunate that I had a touch point physically Um, I covered a lot of ground in my first three weeks, and then we went to work from home. Um, And, you know, it's been difficult. Um, Frankly, you know, as you know, Jim, I've 
uh, had a lot of different jobs. So you're always like learning new things. And I think you always have to be incredibly respectful when you show up of the culture and sort of the things you don't know. Um, and so I was very focused on that. But I have to say, like joining a tech startup is a whole new level. I remember joking with my husband that I had to download like 10 apps on my phone just to function the first week. And, you know, um, at tech startups like Nextdoor, they actually have an incredible level of transparency, which when you work at really big corporations like the Hyatt Hotels Company is very different. So one of the first things I noticed is that we actually publish our board doc, which is a doc. It's like a 120 page Word doc in Google Docs. We publish it so the entire company can see it. And by the way, it's not a PowerPoint or a keynote that gets shared with the board. It goes up and the board starts commenting real time into the board deck like 10 days before you actually even walk into the room. It's a very different experience, right? It's a much more um, like just we're all in the weeds together in some kind of a way. So it's not this distant where you're presenting and it's sort of it's just it's a totally different world. So you have to learn these new things about a culture and adapt. And I think you have to now recognize that everybody's in a very different place. Um, you know, working from home, I think, has been so complicated. Um, if you're single, it's incredibly isolating. If you have kids and you're having to actually homeschool them in the middle of the day, it's complicated, right? There's just so many levels of complexity. Um, and we're all learning. And, you know, it, it at times it feels like it's endless because you can't see the end in sight, right? And so I think um, it's been complicated, but on the flip side, I think like everyone's had to be much more authentic because you're literally seeing them with their children on their lap or we had a client meeting, which I won't forget, where the husband was walking behind the client like every five minutes in his workout gears and literally her hair was like on fire. And she was like, what is he doing? So it brings you closer. I think it gets rid of the veneer that we all sort of had gotten used to, which I think is amazing. But, you know, we're all learning real time with each other. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, uh, I'm now podcasting from a historical home we're renovating. So there's saws going and cement trucks. So I apologize to you and the listeners if something comes flying in the window or whatever might happen. But I want to ask you, who have you been uh, staying in place with? Who has been? Have, have you had any kids home or yeah, friends? Yeah, yeah. So um, we, so when it first happened, so I had two kids in college, they both got sent home in March. So, you know, the idea of an empty nest was no longer. And actually quite early on, a friend who was a single mom, actually with a, um, a two-year-old called, and she was actually having a very difficult time because there was so much unknown. And she actually came with her newborn and, well, she was like two. So they came and moved in with us for a period of six weeks because they just needed some support. And I remember I was on the call with a colleague, Jenny, in Australia. And I was like, you're going to have to just bear with me because I'm actually driving to Astoria to pick somebody up. So we'll be doing this call as I pick up this, you know, this, my friend Renat and her baby, who is at this point screaming, I was like, so hold on, I'll just put you on mute until I can get her to calm down because she doesn't really know me. So, um, yeah, so we, we had, um, sort of a, a whole v variety. Um, and really that's continued on. I mean, we're not after six weeks decided she sort of her child needed her own space. And so she went back to Astoria, but you know, I still have the kids home and we're sort of experiencing what that's like. Yeah. How nice to live with a two-year-old again. You know what? It was that. amazing. It was amazing. Because I remember thinking like, it's just hopeful. People were like, that just seems crazy that you would do that. I was like, no, it's actually really joyful to remember like, there's a future, right? You see the baby and you think like, the whole world is in front of her. Yeah, absolutely. So I want you to talk about your work. Our listeners are always interested in what 
senior people do and what CMOs do. So let's demystify it. What yeah. is your work as the head of marketing for this really interesting app, this phenomenon? And how is it different from Hyatt and Gannett? Well, so the thing that's interesting about Nextdoor, right, for me, the reason purpose matters is like, why did the company begin and what's the difference they want to make in the world? I know, Jim, you and I share our love of purpose. Really, it's about the North Star, right? And I think when I look back at the history of Nextdoor, there was an article that Charles Blow writes in 2010 about uh, how as we become more connected, we become more disconnected. And he talks about a Pew study that talks about how 28% of Americans don't know a single neighbor. And I think that was really the premise that started next door, right? And then they discovered bowling alone and this idea of us becoming more modern as a society and more um, isolated. So they thought, okay, how can we actually leverage society to solve this problem? And so the idea of next door was really based on the premise that by leveraging technology, you could connect people online, but really to get them connected offline. So it was really based on the notion of community and neighborhoods as the unit of change. And so my job is really to tell that story. So it was actually kind of fascinating in my first week, you know, as I was getting um, to know the company and the people, I discovered the Charles Blow story. And I had actually just heard Charles Blow when I was in Chicago speak at actually at the kids' school. And I read his book and had found And for the listeners who don't know him, he's a, he's a great columnist for the yeah, New York Times. Yeah, for the New York yeah. Times. Super interesting, right? Yeah. And so I was like, has anybody reached out to Charles Blow? Does he know that that article was actually the founding story of the company? And nobody had ever reached out to him. So for me, a lot of my job as a CMO is I consider myself a storyteller, right? So my job is to figure out how do I tell the story of Nextdoor using all the tools that we have. Um, and it's really about the narrative, right? And so if you have a purpose, but that narrative is actually incredibly authentic. And so you can sort of use that as a through line of the story that you're trying to tell to your various constituencies, internally, externally, you know, to the street, how, whatever it is that you're trying to manage. So, I mean, you know, I tell people all the time, like they say, what's your superpower? And my superpower really isn't storytelling, right? It's about being able to pull back and say, okay, what is it I'm trying to solve? And how do I actually tell the story in a way that it lands. I tell my children all the time, communication isn't in how good you think you're doing, it's in, isn't in whether they actually get the message. <laughs> so if you think of it in that way, that's really what, um, as a CMO, you're trying to solve. Because if somebody doesn't understand your story, they can't buy your product. They can't actually engage with you. They don't know how to actually participate in the equation. Did you grow up in a neighborhood where you knew your neighbors? I sure did. I did. I mean, I remember I grew up originally in Iran where you were connected to everybody. Yeah. And then even when we moved um, to the States, you know, we moved to the suburbs and, you know, it's a crazy story. But my parents, who were like a banker and a TV strategist, decided to open up a bakery. And what I remember is that <laughs> there's just so many levels of crazy, but they had this French bakery <laughs> in this like lily white suburb of San Francisco called Lafayette. And um, what I remember when I made cappuccinos behind the counter and served croissants was, um, like what an energy source it was, right? To actually talk to people and know what was going on. It was like a hub, right? And so for me, I always had this fantasy of opening up a restaurant or having a coffee shop because I remember so vividly that being an energy source of like, not just an exchange of goods, but an exchange of like connections, right? People made friends mm -hmm. in the coffee shop. Um, and, I, and I think about that often actually um, now that I'm at Nextdoor. Yeah. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website, and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 
81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. I'm going to back up a little bit more in your life and career in a moment, but before I do that, I want to talk a bit more about Nextdoor because I think it's so interesting. You know, many others have tried to scale a local platform. I I was on the board of AOL when we purchased Patch, and actually I still use Patch and I also use Nextdoor, but it didn't work. It was a colossal mm-hmm. failure. So, how are you doing doing things differently to make it work? What could others learn? I mean, you know, you're not the first mover in this space, yeah. but you seem to be really getting traction with a business model that works. So what is it about you that's different? So I think the thing, and, you know, Jim, in my early career, I was at City Search, right? And, you know, Gannett mm. was really a local company besides USA Today. So I think we all recognize that hyper-local matters. Um, I think a lot of times, particularly in the media business, you know, where I spent a lot of my time, we come at it from the news lens. And, you know, that's a complicated thing. And we know the news organizations have been under pressure for a long time now, particularly local news organizations. With Nextdoor, we're really a community platform, right? So we're trying to enable communities um, from the ground up. And so I think of us as, um, you know, it's about the whole neighborhood and the neighborhood ecosystem. It's about the members. So like Nathaniel and Troy, who live down the street from me in Chelsea, um, La Bergamo, Joe's Coffee Shop, the big brands, right? The Home Depot that's in my neighborhood, the public agencies. It's about like figuring out how to enable that local ecosystem to come together. Um, we don't actually take political advertising. We're really not about that. And a really good analogy is like, you know, it's like coming to my house for dinner. Everybody can disagree. But, you know, if you dump the bottle on somebody's head, you're going to be asked to leave because it's a community platform and we have community guidelines. And it's also about the vibrancy and sort of the social capital of a neighborhood. Um, and that's really what we're focused on, which was quite different than what Patch was trying to do or City Search or some of the other efforts around local. And I think, again, it's really about utility. So people come to the platform because, um, well, so here are the key things about Nextdoor, right? It's about proximity because you basically log on and you see your community. You don't see Marin. If I'm in Chelsea, I see sort of Greenwich Village and and Chelsea, but I'm not seeing other neighborhoods. And um, I don't like pick and choose my friends. I'm not opting in and out. I'm literally, I have access to all the people who sign in from my community. So the premise is I moved to neighborhood because of the people who live there and the vibrancy and the businesses, and I'm now getting connected in. So a small business that comes on the platform um, you know, because we've just been launching a lot of different things for small businesses on the platform, you know, and people say, well, why should I get onto Nextdoor? Well, because you get instant distribution into the community. You don't actually have to go build your followership, right? And mm-hmm. the neighbor and the neighbors want to know what's going on with the local businesses on their platform. For the public agencies, they are trying to get hyper-local information, right? If you're Con Ed and you're trying to turn off something in a few blocks, you're not trying to get that, you know, message out nationally or even in broad strokes. You're trying to get to those few blocks so that you're not actually creating noise for other people. So I think it's the it's the entire ecosystem that's what's interesting about Nextdoor that's different, but it also relies on us having partnerships with the entire community, right? So we're not just solving for one, one neighbor. We're actually bringing the entire ecosystem together. 
um, I think of us as an enabler, right? Whereas I think at Patch or at City Search, we were, or some of the news organizations, you're focused on delivering information, right? So it's sort of just a different model. Um, and I think for advertisers, it's been an interesting thing because like, if I think of Walmart, they came on the platform in an incredibly interesting way recently. Like for them, we had turned, you know, as COVID hit the first meet, you know, the first need we were trying to meet was like getting you um, hyper-local relevant information, CDC, World Health Organization, you know, the Catalan government in Spain, the NHS in the UK. And then people started immediately actually wanting to help each other. Like if there's a silver lining, I have to say like, this desire to help showed up pretty quickly. I would say like almost in the second week of the pandemic where people were like, I'm able-bodied and I can run groceries. I can pick up prescriptions for people. And the team like was able to pivot and start creating these products like in record time to meet that need. And I think that's where if you're a purpose-driven organization that's authentic, like people begin to live their purpose. They're just like super motivated by that. So we created a functionality for people to be able to join groups. And also then they took a map that used to be for trick-or-treating where you could pin your house so the people would know to come trick-or-treating. And they actually turned it into, into help map. So you could mm. pin yourself in your neighborhood to say, oh, you know what? This person needs help and I'm the closest person to them. So it was like a visual exercise. And then Walmart sort of showed up and they were trying to get hyper-local information about their store hours, you know, all the different changes that were happening. They actually started these groups. So you could say, I'm going to Walmart. You could see if somebody was close to you and you could be like, I'm happy to do that run for you. So it enabled them to get really hyper-local information to their customers, but it also reduced foot traffic in their stores, which was better for them in terms of um, you know, their employee base. And also it still kept the basket sizes up, right? Because people were shopping not just for themselves, but for multiple people. That kind of creative like partnership yeah. was super interesting to see. Um, and I think in that sense, like you have to be utility and then you also have to try and norm behavior on the platform to make sure that, you know, when people want to help each other, who doesn't want to enable that? Yeah, um, yeah. You've been sharing wonderful things that are happening on the platform. Do you have a, do you have a favorite consumer story, user story on the platform? Well, I mean, probably, I mean, honestly, there's so many, we collect yeah. them on a regular basis. Um, you know, I think. Uh, probably one of my favorite stories is a gentleman actually um, who was afraid to, you know, after all the civil unrest, he was afraid to sort of um, walk home alone from work. And he posted on the platform. And this has now been covered by People Magazine and a lot of the, um, uh, you know, the Today Show and, and whatnot. And he basically posted and the number of people who volunteered to walk with him, like 50 people showed up. So I think the thing that you know, the stories that resonate with me, some of them are like, oh, they wanted to have a wedding and they got their whole neighborhood to help them have the wedding. I mean, they're obviously big stories, but it's really the little stories, mm -hmm. right? Because um, not everybody's going to be donating a car, right? It's not it's not like the Oprah show where that, where that happens all the time. So I think, yes, you see these big stories where big things happen, but really the things that are heartwarming are the little stories. Somebody was telling me a story in Australia where um, actually we got a reach out from one of the Wiggles. Yeah, remember the Wiggles? So Greg from the Wiggles, he was the yellow shirt. <laughs> Him, he they reached out because one of their um one of his partners, his mom was looking for some medicine that was hard to find. And he discovered next door and he posted, and like eight people offered to drop off that medicine by the evening. And he said his mother was very confused. He said, like, is that a black market? And they would literally like, we'll just drop it off free. Like you can just have it. And I think it's those stories that are heartwarming because um you know, when people ask for, for help, like 
it really opens up the opportunity for people to give back and you see that come up in spades. And I think that's really heartwarming. Um, we also have a lot of stories where businesses who've been suffering, well, people will turn to them and figure out how to, you know, send bagels to the hospital workers. And then, oh, there was another amazing story where there was a gentleman whose um, whose spouse was in need of medical attention and people offered to, you know, create a GoFundMe campaign. And he wasn't interested in that because he felt like that was a handout. And so somebody posted on Nextdoor and literally people would show up at six in the morning. They'd buy out the store. And so basically he'd make his number and then he could just go to the hospital. Like, so it's those kinds of stories that are incredibly, incredibly heartwarming, right? Where people come together and sort of organize um, to help each other, right? And so whatever they were doing with the donuts that they were buying, they they were making sure to get there early. Exactly. Exactly. So kind. So we need this podcast in this time. So Marion, thank you for joining us. These stories are wonderful. How has your purpose at Nextdoor helped you navigate this? Well, I I think I always come back to that. You know, I think about purpose as a filter through which you make decisions. I remember when I was at Hyatt, our purpose was around caring for you to be your best. And people were initially very confused by that because they were like, what's the difference between care and service? They seem like the same thing. And our CEO, Mark Hoplomazian, used to say, empathy plus action equals care. I see you and I actually am willing to do something about it. And so that's how you move forward. And so I say to people all the time, like purpose is about how you make a decision at an organization. It is not about your marketing tagline, right? It's about your North Star. And so you have to look at business decisions through that filter to figure out what the right answer for you is. Because as we're experiencing now in times of chaos, which I will say we all are now living in, it can be really easy to just constantly be zigging and zagging, responding to things that are coming at you. Um, So I remember there was a time at Hyatt where we were looking at a deal with a franchisee and they were not offering health insurance to their employees. And we we sort of sat around the table and said, if our purpose is caring for you to be your best, are we going to take this deal? And I think it's in those moments where you walk away from money or you're willing to walk away from money uh, that you actually really know, are you, in fact, a purpose-driven company? Or is it just a, you know, a nice line on a laminated card that people carry around in their wallets? Yeah. As we look forward on brand purpose you know, what do you think our greatest challenges are, Miriam? I mean, we're we're trying, you know, we, we try to find our purpose or rediscover it, bring it to life, measure it, which I think there's opportunities. What do you think is the next, what's purpose 3.0? Well, Jim, you know, the, the amazing thing is, um, you know, there's more of us now than when we started on this mm-hmm. journey, you and I. Um, and I think part of it is, you know, purpose became popular, like all things. They, it sort of like becomes in fashion. Um and and I think it's about more than that, right? I mean, it's really about authenticity of purpose. And for a while, and in fact, when I took my time off, I got to write a chapter on um, for Nina Montgomery, who did a book called Perspectives on Purpose. I think it really matters to understand what purpose is. Um, a lot of people think it's their CSR strategy. A lot of people equate it with their marketing. And I think I really go back to Jim Collins's work about like it being the North Star of an organization and sort of this broader lens through which you can make decisions. And it's about your strategy. So I think, um, look, I think consumers are going to demand more of companies. We're already seeing that. So I think um, the reason it's come into such fashion is because um, the system is asking us to be more accountable to things like that, right? If you think about sort of society as a system, like I think there's just more demand for people to know who they're buying from. They want to they want to understand. And there's like big issues now. And so that's why you're seeing CEOs step into things that 
10 years ago, you couldn't have imagined them stepping into. Um, I think that what's happening in the world globally is asking more of all of us. And I think, frankly, um, a lot of business leaders have the capacity to do that kind of work. Yeah. Is your is your purpose at Nextdoor in your KPIs? Oh, yes. A hundred percent. You know, Jim, I know you measure this. I know, um, you know, Jim Collins, who is definitely a numbers person, you know, measure this. I, you have to be able to quantify it. Right. Because otherwise it's hard for people to actually focus on it. Um, and a hundred percent it's in our KPIs. Yeah. Perfect. Miriam, keep being yourself. It works. <laughs> It works. You you are uh, true to yourself, and you're uh, you've always been a bright light in our industry, and you continue to be. So I hope we see each other again in person. Keep being yourself, and and by the way, you know, keep keep uh, stretching next door, which I'm sure you're doing with your team. Yeah, you yeah. you do play an amazing role, uh, and and I think it's it's so helpful, and it's shining a light in the generosity and the kindness of human beings. And we need more of that. We, it's not where it needs to be. And I think you can be a catalyst for that. So it's a perfect match for who you are as a person. So keep at it. It's been so, so, so nice connecting with you again. I love this podcast and our listeners will too. Thank you so much for having me. That was my conversation with Miriam. I just love how she is living her purpose through this company next door. And I think a silver lining to COVID is how people are helping each other out and the Nextdoor app gives them a way to do that. Miriam's stories about how they are accelerating their efforts to bring neighbors together, connecting them to help each other out is one very positive outcome of this crisis we are all living through. That's it for this episode of our Leadership During Crisis series. We hope you enjoyed this follow-up episode and found value and insight into how these leaders and brands are operating during this pandemic. If you found this episode interesting or helpful, I would be so grateful if you shared it with your friends and if you gave the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Subscribe to the show and get notified every time we publish a new episode. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.